so just a little bit of an update. Uh, me and me and my wife Allison. Um, one, she couldn't be here because she's not feeling too well. But um, on her behalf, and and I guess we're we're a couple. Uh, we are a couple. That's not something I guess. We're together. Uh, we're still married. Um, just want to thank you guys for championing us when we were here, and then so many of you continue to just love us and encourage us and pour into us, and so it just it just it just means so much to to the both of us. And you know, Wellhouse, it's it just home. It feels like home. You come in, and uh, so many people here have, have don't even know uh, just how much God has used you to bring some some just deep healing. Uh, to my heart and my time here, and you guys continue just to pour into us. And so from the bottom of my heart, like, thank you for believing in us, for encouraging us, and, and for praying for us, and continuing to cheer us on as we, uh, as we are chasing after this God-sized dream that God's put in our heart for the city of Mount Juliet. Just some, just some updates on what God's been doing in Mount Juliet. You know, two weeks ago, uh, we, we bought a horse trough. I bought it online. Now, this lets you know just how much of a non-ruler kind of person I was. Um, I was going for the horse trough that you guys have, you know. And so I, like, got my ruler out in uh, my living room, and I'm, I'm doing the sizes. And I'm like, oh, this is about the size of the one that Wallhouse has. And so I order it, and I don't have a truck. So what do you do when you don't have a truck? You call someone who does have a truck. And so I call my dad. I'm like, Dad, I need you to pick this up. We got this girl. She's wanting to get baptized, which is something you can celebrate. It was amazing. But my dad comes, and he drops this thing off, and it's a horse trough. And you can fit about 12 people in it. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a hot tub. And, um, and so, you know, we, we load that up. We fill the water up in our driveway. We've been meeting our home since January. And one of the girls, she's been coming for a while, and God's just got a hold of her heart. And uh, actually just got to preach her wedding about two months ago, and her husband baptized her into Christ. It was like an amazing moment. We're like worshiping in the driveway. And then my neighbor, he like peeks around the fence, and I'm like, you're next, brother. I'm like, God's good, you know. And uh, so God's been moving it on that front. Um, you know, we've been praying, if I'm being just completely honest, I, since the beginning, I've been going, God, would we be the messiest church in Mountain Julia? And would you give us the, the vision to steward in such a way that people's lives are being changed? And we've been going, God, would, would the addicts feel like they can call King and City home? We've been praying, would broken marriages feel like they can come and be restored and, and it'd be a safe place for them to ask questions and admit uh, would it be a place where you don't have to wear a mask? Would it be a place where you don't have to put a filter? Because let's be honest, in 2019, we'd like to put a filter on everything. So we've just been praying that prayer. God's been doing some amazing things. We just got a venue. We actually have our first preview service, August 25th. So here's my only ask. My only ask is that you would continue just to pray for us. Pray that God would awaken a movement in the city of Mountain Juliet so that the population of heaven grows. Literally, that's if, if, if you take away anything, like how can I bless Chris and Allison? How can I bless that church? Like, Put us on your prayer list and start asking, God, would you awaken a movement in the city of Mountain Juliet in a way that can only be explained by the hand of God? Literally, that's, that's what I would ask that you would pray for us. Um, so just pumped to be here. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke Chapter 6, we're going to be in verse 12 here in a little bit. This morning, I want to talk about the idea, if you like to take notes, here's my sermon, my preach, my title, Kingdom Community. I want to talk about that idea this morning of Kingdom 
community. Specifically, I want to talk about three thoughts or three ideas that we can pull when we look to the kingdom community that Jesus created, or the kingdom that uh, kingdom community that Jesus cultured in when he started to to gather people. Okay, there's three thoughts, and if you'd like to take notes, here they are. A kingdom community is built on unity in Jesus. That's number one. Number two, a kingdom community is built on face-to-face. And then the third is a kingdom community is built on participation. So a kingdom community is built on unity in Jesus. A kingdom community is built on doing life face-to-face. And then a kingdom community is built on participation. Now, I want you to know what I'm about to say is probably something that, you know, Preacher 101, you should probably never say from the pulpit. I'm just prefacing what I'm about to say. Um, You probably should never admit this, but, you know, now that I'm a guest, I guess I can say it. Um, And and this has nothing to do with any of you here, and so just just so you know, but I'm just fully just going to admit this. Um, There was a time in my life where God called me to disciple this guy, and I remember our first conversation sitting in a coffee shop, and it took me about five minutes into that conversation for me to think, man, there is no way in the world I want to disciple this guy. This guy and me had nothing in common. Like, if there's a, a total opposite version of me, it was him. And I remember sitting in that coffee shop, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, what is he like? What do we have in common? So we can kind of build a conversation. How many of you have ever been there? Some of you were here this morning in church. And so I'm trying to figure it out, and I'm trying to, and and the conversation is stale. Nothing's really taking place. You know, my go-to sports, he don't like sports. I'm confused. He doesn't like the same movies I like. I'm even more confused. He doesn't do television shows. Now I'm really confused. And then he not only is... Uh, we have nothing in common, but, he, but here's the thing. He is one of the smartest dudes I've ever been around, okay? So every four to five minutes, I'm having to act like I'm texting someone, but I'm actually Googling a word that he just used because I have no idea what it meant. And so this is our first interaction with each other, okay? So after I leave there, all right, don't do this. I'm literally leaving there, and I'm telling God, I'm like, God, there is no way in the world I am discipling that guy. We have nothing in common. As a matter of fact, I am so exhausted just from hanging out with him. I'm like, I'm like, Lord, he would rather read a book than watch a show on Netflix. What kind of human being have you created? Literally, I'm like, I'm like Lord, I don't want to hang out with this guy. But in that moment, as I'm driving home, the Lord reveals something to me about a kingdom community that I'll never forget. And that a kingdom community, brings me to my first point, is built on this idea that Jesus is enough. That unity in Jesus is enough. Look to the text with me in Luke chapter 6. We'll start reading in verse 12. Luke 6, verse 12. Since one of those days, this is talking about Jesus' ministry, his earthly ministry. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. Here's what you need to know. Jesus has gone to spend the night praying to God because he's got a really big decision to make. He's got a decision to make about which 12 people is he going to choose to invest in, to walk with, to do life face-to-face, if you would. Now, this is a little mini-sermon inside of a bigger sermon. We won't spend a lot of time here, but how many of us, I know I'm guilty of making decisions and then asking God to bless it versus asking God, hey, God, what is it that you want and then knowing it's already been blessed because he's told you? 
Jesus gives us an example that we need to be people, church, who when it comes to seeking, we need to be people that are praying. And as we're praying, God will reveal. He's the God that still speaks. He's not the dad that shows up every now and then. He is the dad that is constant. He is the dad that speaks. And so for us, we need to be people that don't go, hey, God, what is it that, that, that you want? And then, and then ignore it. We want to be people that walk in that truth. But he spent the night praying to God. And the, look at verse 13. It says, when morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of him, 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. That's just a really English word for sent out. And so Jesus chooses 12 men that he's going to walk with face-to-face, do life with face-to-face, and then eventually he's going to send them out as we see the story of God unfold. But check to verse 14. I just want to read this list of the guys. Simon, who's named Peter. Okay, so Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus. Simon, who was called the Zealot. Judas, son of James, Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. I want you to just think for a moment about this kingdom community that we just talked about in Luke chapter 6. There's a community that's taking place. He's chose 12, and I want to talk about those guys for a little bit. You know, sometimes, if I'm being honest, it's real easy to go to church long enough, and you start reading these guys as if they're fairy tale characters. As if they're people in a Marvel movie that some director dreamed up. And the truth is that these are people that are real, with real stories, real worldviews, real political beliefs, real ideologies, like real people. And Jesus chooses 12, and I just want to kind of bring out just for a little bit some of the people in this group and, and kind of really just try to bring it to our context. Especially when we talk about a kingdom community. you got four fishermen, Peter, James... Andrew and John, 9 to 5, probably earlier than that because they were fishermen. Middle class Jews, they would have had their own ideologies, their own political beliefs. They would have had their own worldviews. Think about Judas Iscariot. He seems to like to spend a lot of money on fancy things. Today the kids might say he's bougie. Here's the, one, the two I really want to focus on. Because this will be the time where it kind of makes us uncomfortable, especially in the political climate that we stand in. But you have a guy named Matthew. He's a tax collector. Guys, he literally was ripping off his own community and his own people. He worked for the Roman Empire. He was literally involved in the deep state. And then you got a guy in the same group named Simon, and he's a zealot. And at that time, the language that they didn't use, but we would use today, is that would be a far-left extreme or a far-right extremist. Now, I'm just trying to paint this picture for you. Imagine the conversation that they would have as Jesus takes them to Chick-fil-A for breakfast and coffee, okay? You go, I'm not getting it. Imagine like Candace Owens and AOC sitting at the same table. I'm being serious. ideologies and political beliefs and worldviews all coming and colliding together. And here's what we need to really bring to attention this morning as we talk about this idea of kingdom community. It's built on unity in Jesus being enough. What do we see when we look to the lives of the 12 men that Jesus chose as the story played out? 
Do we see 12 men that constantly thought, hey, you believe different, can't do life with you. You think this way, can't do life with you. You do this, can't do life with you. No, do we see that? We don't see that at all. What do we see? We see 12 men whose ideologies, worldviews, political beliefs, they all submitted to King Jesus. They all submitted to his truths. They all submitted to what he says. And guess what happened? Because of their ability, their willingness to submit to his lordship, to to submit their, their thoughts and their beliefs to go, what does God say about this? What does God teach about this? What happens is as they're submitting, Jesus eventually uses this kingdom community to awaken a movement. And guess what? 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it in a school in really comfortable chairs. Come on. This is amazing. A kingdom community built on unity in Jesus and that unity in Jesus being enough. You know, when I look back on that friendship with a guy that I had nothing in common with, that was a friendship. We're still friends today. But... In that season, we're, we're meeting every other week, and I'm walking with him. We actually had Buffalo Wild Wings in common, so we would go there often. So we would go eat. But what was so amazing is that the fruit of that relationship was so deep. And that was a season of God teaching me, Chris, in the kingdom community, Jesus is enough. Do you know that? A kingdom community, a church community, is supposed to be supernatural, not natural. And typically, we settle for the natural. Got to find the same hobbies, got to find the same beliefs. Oh, politically, I saw your page. We can be dogs. Like, we're good. And God goes, in a kingdom community, do we believe that Jesus is truly enough? And I think it's time for us to like come under that truth that one, not only is it enough, but also for us to realize that a kingdom community is not built on our hobbies being alike or similar. A kingdom community isn't built on whether or not we align with red or blue or independent. A kingdom community is built on Jesus Christ. And when a kingdom community is built on Jesus Christ, there's a unity that begins to take place. And when we start to lay our worldviews and our ideologies and our political beliefs at the altar and say, God, I don't worship the American flag. I worship you. When, when we say, I don't, I, I'm going to allow my life to be submitted to what you say and what you believe. I'm going to allow your teachings to shape my way of thinking. You know, Jesus, the last thing I'll say about this, because I can feel the tension in the room. Jesus, think about John 17. Go read it before you fall asleep tonight. It's real quick. Get out your holy glow. Flip it one time. You hit John. Go to flip it again. John 17. Verse 23 says one of the most profound things. Literally, Jesus is praying for the Father. Praying to the Father, not for the Father. (laughs) He's praying to the Father. And listen to what he prays. He says, I pray that my church would have unity. Why, Jesus? I want you to think about this. It always goes back to his heart. Jesus' heart is to go for the 
one. Jesus' heart is the, the father that waits on the prodigal kid. Jesus' heart is, is the, 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 the one that we sing about, the reckless love. Like he loves us. He's for us. That's the heart of Jesus. Guess what it goes back to? Father, let them have unity. Why? Because when they have unity, the world, listen, the world, non-believers, people that don't know about Jesus, the world will know two things. One, they'll know that I was sent from the Father, and two, they'll know that I love them. Come on. The world right now is desperately in need of a touch from God, and they're looking for answers, and they should be able to look into the church, and when they look into the church, guess what they should find? They should find unity in Jesus being enough. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I want to talk about this second idea of a kingdom community. It's built on doing life face-to-face. A kingdom community is built on doing life face-to-face. Look to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The church literally is being birthed. An awakening is taking place. And God gives us a blueprint. Now, I'm going to be honest. I'm just as guilty when I talk about this. But, you know, in church, if you hang around long enough, we like to use a really popular word, revival. How many of you ever heard that word? Revival. God send revival. It's like, well, you know, we want revival. We want revival. God send revival. God send an awakening. Here's the deal. There ain't nothing wrong with praying that. But I'll tell you this, God's given us a blueprint on how to get there. God's given us a blueprint on how to obtain it. Oftentimes when I've prayed for revival, it's always felt like unattainable. It's always felt like this thing, God, like I prayed for it so long, but now I want to see it. And this week the Lord just began to really kind of convict me as I'm looking at his blueprint for the church. Acts 2.42, look, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. In other words, they devoted themselves to the teachings of Jesus. And they devoted themselves to fellowship. The word that we would use today if we were writing that would be community. And in the breaking of bread, in other words, they devoted themselves to doing life face to face. And then they devoted themselves to prayer. Now, look what happens in verse 47 when you have a church that's devoted to the blueprint. Look to verse 47. And it said, and the Lord, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, and the Lord. And the Lord. It doesn't say, and the people. It says, and the Lord. Guess what? The Lord added to the church. How could the Lord do that? He could do that because he saw a church. He saw a people that were walking in the blueprint of the kingdom of God. You go, what does it mean to be a kingdom community? Here's the definition. A community that's bringing in the ways of the kingdom of God to planet earth. That's what it means to be a kingdom community. He says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. You know, I went to Home Depot pretty recently. Something about every time I walk into Home Depot, I just feel like more of a man. I, I confess that I don't really know a whole lot about building anything, okay? Um, you know, you need your oil changed, I got a number I can give, give you. You know what I'm saying? It's called Vaveline. I, you know, it's like I ain't got much for you. You know, I walk into Home Depot, I feel like back in ninth grade in Spanish class. I, ain't got, I don't know what's going on. But here's the reality. 
if you give me a blueprint on how to build a house, and I totally ignored the blueprint, and I went in, especially not knowing really what I'm doing, I'd probably come out with a lot of random stuff. And on the way out in my shopping cart, you might be like, man, that's a guy that's about to go build a house. You go, boy. And then I would start to unload that cart when I got home, and guess what I would discover? Because I missed the blueprint, I got a lot of things that maybe I can start with, I can build with, but the reality is I'll never get to the house. And I'm telling you, God has given us a blueprint, but we got a lot of Chris Malone's walking in Home Depot that don't really pay attention to the blueprint, but we think we're going to get the house. I want you to imagine that Wellhouse was to shut down tomorrow and you had to go find a new church next week. I want you to think about this. All, all jokes aside, imagine that Wellhouse shut down and next week you had to go find a church. Now imagine that you talk to your spouse or or you talk to your family, or you talk to your friends, and this is your criteria. You go, I'm going to go find a church, and I'm going to stay there for four weeks before I determine whether I'm all in or I'm all out. Now think about this. Imagine if you went to a church, and for four weeks, they never prayed. How many of us would be like, I love this church? We wouldn't. We would not go. We'd be like, I can't go to that church. Why? Because they never pray. What if the next month we said, man, you know what? We can't go to that church because they don't pray. What if the next month we went to a church for four weeks and every time the guy got up, the word of God was never opened? What would you do? You do the same thing that you did to the church that didn't pray. You go, oh, I can't go. I, there's no way. People go, why can't you go? I can't go because they don't open the word of God. Guys, I'm telling you, in the American church, we open the word of God. And we pray. But one thing, and I'm not, maybe Wahas is the exception, but this is maybe just for me. But I'm just telling you, when I look to the landscape of Christianity, in America specifically, we pray, we open the word, but we do not do face-to-face really well. Imagine the next month after you decided you didn't want to go to that church, you walked into a church, and everybody in the church kind of treated it like the movies. You know, you go to the movies, you find your seat, and then it's kind of like, You know, I ain't got nobody with me, but I kind of want you to think I got somebody with me because I don't really want you to sit down next to me. Imagine you went to a church and you hang out there for a month and then you start to discover that really nobody knows anybody. Like people have been going there for years, but they can't name 10 people outside of leadership. You go, oh man, how is that even possible? Imagine that you decided you wanted to go to their house church and every time you went to a house church, what you realize is that people would go to the house church and if people had the same hobbies and shared the same politics and the same ideologies and they were cool and hip for you, you might stay. But if they're not cool and hip and stay, you're going to go try another one. And I'm telling you, it's very possible that the reason that the American church is missing out on revival, is missing out on God moving, is missing out on watching the Spirit of God raise people from the death to life, watching people go from sickness to health, watching people go from broken marriages to being strengthened. Maybe the reality is because we're really killing it at praying and we're really killing it at teaching the Word, but the problem we're missing is we're not doing life face-to-face. I'm convinced more than ever, the longer I do ministry. A good sermon and great worship can plant a seed in somebody's heart. But that's not going to change their life. 
What's going to change their life is when a man or woman in that church decides, I'm going to walk with that person and do life face to face. How many of us know that a broken marriage doesn't need another sermon about marriage? That couple needs a, 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 a married couple that's walking in the power of the Spirit of God. That's willing to walk alongside them and say, hey, we've been through those ugly chapters. We, we've been through those valleys. Hey, we've had those fights. But you know what? If you'll walk with Jesus, if you'll walk with us, let's do life face to face and I'll show you how to come out. How many of us know that the addict don't need another sermon about freedom? The addict needs somebody who's going to do life with them face to face. He or she needs a man or a woman to walk with them, to show them what it looks like when the darkness starts to come in. To stand outside in church in the smoking section because they're still trying to kick the habit. And maybe you need to smell like a cigarette when you come in, but you hadn't smoked. But you're doing life with someone face to face because you know that the kingdom of God in a kingdom community can only take place when people have committed to doing life face to face. Come on, that's good. And it's not for me because it's good. That's the word. That's the word. The thing that every person in here is longing for is community. And the devil has tricked us into thinking we can microwave it. You come on Sunday, hey, what's up? Doing good? What's up? And then you're out. And the reality is, that's not the calling of the church. The church, God has called the church to be the most radically opposite place on planet Earth. Every community that exists on this planet, okay, it exists because people think the same, act the same, walk the same, story similar, skin color similar. And God says that's not supposed to be in the ways of the kingdom. It's supposed to be radically different. Jesus is supposed to be enough. And when he's enough, we've got to commit to doing life face to face. Jesus gives us this example. All throughout the scriptures, I mean, he walked with 12 guys. And I'm just telling you, I don't know the last time you read the Gospels, but them dudes were pretty messed up too. One of them was a racist, and he struggled with cussing out middle school girls by fires. We had another guy who we talked about him earlier. He was super bougie. We had uh, uh, other ones that were literally hungry for power. I mean, these guys were just as messed up as you and I. And Jesus walked with them. He says, hey, follow me and I'll make you. Come on, follow me and I'll make you. And guess what he did? He did life with them face to face. And out of face to face becomes new beginnings. Out of face to face is new chapters. Out of face to face is new freedom. Out of face to face is healing. Out of face to face is restoration. Out of face to face is deep friendship. Out of face to face is greater depth with God. And I go, how many of us want to do life face to face? Because if you do, it's got to be something we step into together. Because God's called us to it. God's called us to it. Last thing I want to talk about this morning is this idea of kingdom participation. Go ahead and get the, the band to come back up. I, I'm, gonna, I, I'm preaching not so long a message this morning because I want us to have the opportunity as a church community this morning to step into something that I believe is an act of worship, which is trying to do something that God calls us to do, which is to do life face to face. 
John chapter 4, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman. She's been married five times, divorced five times. An afternoon with Jesus, guess what? A face-to-face changed her life. Changed her life in such a way that she started to do face-to-face with other people, and then it changed an entire community. I think about in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is hanging out with people like you and I, people who are willing to admit that we're spiritually bankrupt and in desperate need for the hand of God. And as he's hanging out with these people that are spiritually bankrupt, you have this other group of people who don't realize they're spiritually bankrupt, but they consider themselves spiritually elite. And they're frustrated. How could Jesus hang with these people? How could Jesus do this? And Jesus is just doing what Jesus does. He's doing face-to-face with the lowly. He's doing face-to-face with those who are in desperate need of the hand of God. He's doing face-to-face with those who need healing. He's doing face-to-face with those who need a touch. Like, he's doing face-to-face with you and I. And what's so amazing is in that moment, Jesus could have switched it up. He could have remixed it. But no, he stayed the constant. He said, let me tell you a story about my heart. And then that's when the prodigal story was birthed. That's when the good shepherd story was birthed. That's when the woman who lost the coin searched and flipped her whole entire house upside down. And Jesus said, hey, I'm going to do life face to face with those who don't have it together. And here's the deal. Every single Sunday at Wellhouse, we participate in what's called communion. Okay, if you've never heard that word, totally cool. Like the first time I came to church and someone said, we're going to eat. The Lord's Supper. I was like, oh, word, I'm hungry. And then they, they pass a little piece of bread around, and I was confused. I'm like, this church looks wealthy, and they're giving me this little piece of bread. How am I supposed to be full on this? And then the next thing, they were like, we're going to drink the blood. And I was like, I ain't drinking no blood. This is like, I was ready to get out of there. So if you know about communion, I get it. I've been there. But listen, Jesus instituted this thing called communion. As he's sitting around a table with 12 dudes, guess what he's doing live? Come on, say it with me. Face to face. And as doing life face to face, he looks at him and he takes that piece of bread and he says, every time you take this for the rest of your life, I want you to remember this represents my body. It's a body that was broken for you. It's going to be a body that's been broken for the world. And then he takes a glass of wine, a little cup, and he says, when you drink from this, this represents my blood. And this will be blood that I shed for you, and it will be blood that I shed for everyone on planet Earth. Every time you take this, remember that I did this for you. He looked at him. Could you imagine just looking at him face to face this morning? Could you imagine just Jesus looking at you face to face and saying, Hey, when you take this bread, no, I did it for you. When you drink this blood, no, I did it for you. I'm just going to tell you, there's a part of my heart that might not believe that. Some of you this morning, that's your story. You go, I'm too broken, too messed up. You don't know me, Chris. If you knew me, you know God wouldn't love me. That's a lie from the pit of hell, and we sent it back because it's demonic. God is for you. God loves you, and he's with you, and he's writing your story. And because your heart still beats in your chest, that means he ain't done with you yet. And we have an opportunity this morning as a church to step into what I call a kingdom participation. Because as a kingdom community, we have an opportunity to step into it. And this is the moment I want everybody to stand with me. And I'm just telling you, it's going to get weird if you've never did this. And for you introverts, I'm sorry. But when you go to the table this morning, I want you to take that bread and I want you to take that cup and I want you to have the faith of God. I want you to have bold faith. I want you to walk to somebody you don't know. And if they say, I don't want to take the Lord's Supper with you, that's fine. You don't worship them. But walk with faith to somebody you don't know. 
and go, hey, this is going to be a step of faith in going, I'm going to commit my life in this next chapter to do a community at what house? Not the way the American church does it, but the way that God tells us to do it, face to face. Face to face. I got a neighbor I've been trying to share the gospel with. So randomly, I go out, I play Frisbee in the yard. Typically, when she's walking her kids, I do it on purpose. I'm out there about the same time, just sharing Jesus, sharing Jesus. Finally, they, they, they invited me and Allison over to their house. They put their kids down, and we're over there. And, and, and literally, I, I'm, sitting, I'm, sitting, I'm sitting in their, in their house. And as I'm sitting in their house, I'm praying. I'm going, God, like... I don't want the whole conversation to be about you, but if you want it to be about you, we can make it about you. I'm literally just praying. I'm going, God, like, I just want to share. What do you, and finally, after about an hour and a half, he breaks in. And she just started to confess. She goes, I don't even know if I believe in God. The God that I knew and the God that I grew up, he was me. He hated me. Anytime I messed up, he didn't want to have anything to do with me. And that broke my heart. Because I knew I was preparing a sermon. And in this sermon, I was going to stand from a stage. And I was going to declare about a God that loves you so much that he moved into the neighborhood face to face. So that one day you and I could move back into his neighborhood. And guess what we get to see? We get to see the Father's face. Not because of your goodness, not because of my goodness, not because of what we've done, but because of what God's done. Because when he moved into the neighborhood, he died on the cross. When he died on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This morning, I don't know what it is, but bring it to the cross, and I promise you, you'll receive that same grace. There's people in the back that want to pray for you. I don't know about you, but the church I grew up in, anytime I wanted prayer, it was only for those who had hijacked their life. Like, if you really messed up, you go get prayer. That's not, that's not the heart here. Whatever you need prayer, people want to pray over you. If you want to give your life to Christ, go to the back. We'll help you take that next step. But I'm in saying this, have bold faith. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go to the table. Have bold faith to take the bread, to take the cup, to look around and go, all right, I'm going to go take the Lord's Supper with them. I'm going to take communion with them. And this, this next season of life, this is my prayer for Wellhouse all week. I've been praying that Wellhouse would be marked as a community in Goodlessville that does life face-to-face does life face to face a kingdom community that does life face to face let's pray God thank you for thank you for the bread thank you for the cup thank you God that it's so much more than than just a ritual thank you God that it's a glimpse of heaven you tell us that one day you're going to take it with us again God I, I, I don't know how big that table is but I, I'm just I just know that that because of your goodness, I got a seat at that table. Lord, I don't care if I'm on the, the far end. I don't even care if I'm on a corner seat, God. I'm just so thankful that because of you, God, I get to sit at the table, Lord. And God, this morning, I pray, Holy Spirit, by the power of your name, God, would you silence the voice of the enemy that says, oh, that's so silly. Don't walk up to somebody you don't know. I pray, God, you silence that voice, Lord. And the reason I'm, I'm praying this prayer, God, is because you say that unity, Lord, is a way that the world will see. That the world will see that not only were you sent, 
that you love the world. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your faith. And we love you, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and start making our way to the table.